Psalm 84 today. As we consider what it means to be strengthened by God's presence, strengthened in God's presence. Maybe a familiar psalm, but uh, taking our time going through it, I hope and pray that it will be uh, edifying to us. A psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Lord, teach us to trust that we may have strength for our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I grew up uh, in New Orleans, typical New Orleans upbringing, where church was the place I didn't want to ever go to because it was just dreary and heavy. Even as a a young child walking into church, it just seemed very heavy. And nine years old, went to a different church. And it was very different. It was spooky different because people were laughing and enjoying. They're hugging one another and they're singing songs and they're lifting their hands and they're clapping. It was mind-boggling for me from the traditional church upbringing that I was used to to go to this new church where it was alive. It really was a picture of what was dead because of works, righteousness, and that which was alive because of gospel life, because of Jesus' righteousness. My my grandmother oftentimes would drop my older brother and me off at church for maybe a youth function or something like that. And one time she said, y'all used to fuss and complain about going to church for an hour. And now, y'all are excited about going to church for two hours. I said, yeah, Mama, it's a, it's a different type of church. It was just different. But I remember going to church, but then meeting people who became lifelong friends. And then I loved going to church. We'd go to church, as we said, whenever the doors were open, we were at church. I still love coming to church. I love Sunday mornings. 
My, my sermon preparation and my excitement and all, I'm all looking forward to who will we get to see today? Who, who, how can we love on and encourage and just be together? Because it's the family of God together. I can recall, even as a child, teenager, young adult, having just wonderful times in worship and hearing the preached word, prayer times that have marked my life. And, and now in February, we were 10 years, marked 10 years we've been meeting on Sundays in this building. And I have just memory upon memory of those times here. And God is gracious to give us these times, these memories. When things are tough... I want to go to church. But that seems to be opposite of what rings true today. When things get tough or things get busy, church seems to be the last place we want to go. And the enemy of our souls, the devil himself, he wants to convince us that if you're struggling with sin or you're just struggling with just life is hard or life is too full, the enemy of our souls wants to convince us, you don't have to go to church. It'll be there when you're ready to go back. But we know those seasons, we drift. There's no guarantee that we'll ever go back. But the enemy of our souls doesn't want us to have that that experience in God's presence that helps connect us to the Lord, but, but settle our hearts for his glory. When we're in tough seasons, and we, we, we struggle with sin, perhaps. We're tempted to avoid church, but it should be the opposite. We should be longing to be with God's people. And this psalm is a wonderful expression that when life is hard and our experience with God's presence is strained, the only strength to empower us to endure is God's presence himself. In the first stanza, we see that this is a, a, verses 1 through 4, this is a strained experience the psalmist is having. First, we have to consider who the psalmist is. It said the psalms, uh, the sons rather, the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were a Levitical family of singers, but they were descended from Korah. Remember what Korah is best known for? The earth swallowing him up because he rebelled against Moses' authority after Mount Sinai. So let's, let's think about the reality of that. Here's Korah, whose descendants, the, and Numbers says that his descendants lived on. There was a bunch that rebelled with him, that the earth literally opened up, swallowed, closed up, zipper, beep, beep, done. Everybody, God is serious about who his leaders are, and we have to trust him. So then the sons, think about the stigma that they live with generation after generation after generation. <laughs> we know your great, 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 great granddaddy. We know what he did. The earth swallowed him up. But think about who they are. They, they wrote several psalms, and they're going to get to a point of saying, we know our role, but our role is we get to be in God's house singing his praise. That's good. It's actually better than anything else that's out there. That's good. The sons of Korah knew the struggle for significance and the feeling that they they belonged everywhere else except with God. But they trusted that they were where God had placed them. So we have this, this, in this strained experience, we have a longing How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. So they're not in the dwelling place. They're longing for my soul longs, yes, faints 
for the courts of the Lord. As with most psalms, this one expresses the disconnect that is felt when life's struggle is happening and it's more present to us than God's presence. How often we feel life is just caving in and we can't do anything. See, his experience is a strained experience because he's not feeling God near. He says, I long for the courts of the Lord. He's remembering back to the tabernacle, to the temple, the location of God's presence on the earth. Now, there was a lot of activity going around the temple. It was not a quiet place. It was not, it didn't have this weird reverence to it that, that, was, that helped distance people and, and keep a separation between God and people. It was just the opposite. It was the place to come be with God. And so think of all the people that are coming and they're bringing, there's animals around for the sacrifices. It's not quiet. can't keep an animal quiet most of the time. There, there's a lot of commotion There's people going back and forth. There's singers happening. There's worship going on. But most importantly, the courts of the Lord were a jubilant place. There were a lot of smiles. There was a lot of happiness. There was a lot of joy. Imagine you have just, you've come a long journey and you've brought your sacrifice and that the priest has helped you with that sacrifice and that's a visible reminder that God, you have taken the penalty of my sin upon this animal so it's not on me anymore. That feels good. And that's the joy that we have when we recognize that Jesus died in our place. He was that sacrifice so I don't have to pay that penalty. That feels good. And that creates exuberance. That's a joyful feeling. There's, there's ceremonial cleansings going on. All of it. There's a lot of commotion. But it's joyful. The sons of Korah are missing that joy. Whatever their experience is, whatever their situation is, they feel the disconnect from the joy that God's house and being at church brought them. They want it back. They're longing for it. So they sing for joy. See, our, our strained experience in life is really a fight for joy, to remember all that Jesus has done for us and have an experience in, in a right-now measure. And being away from God's presence physically doesn't mean that we can't experience his presence spiritually. And praise, singing, it brings God's presence near to us. So that's what they know to do. We sing, that we're longing, there's strain. We long for God's presence and joy. So we'll sing for that joy to the living God. He's not dead in a grave. He's alive. So verses 3 and 4, sorry, that was just verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 4 show us that there's a settling experience that happens in God's presence. We have sparrows and swallows introduced. The sparrow was small and insignificant. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus talked about the sparrows and he said, aren't they sold for a few pennies? This This is not a significant creature in God's animal kingdom. It's not significant, but this should be, and it is intended to be, a powerful reminder that everyone has a place in God's presence. So whenever we feel insignificant or we feel overlooked by God himself, the reminder is this, even the insignificant sparrow finds a home that settles that sparrow. 
the insignificant find a home in God's presence. And the swallow was actually a bird known for its flight, darting back and forth, frantic, can cover long areas away, come back. So we have a sparrow that's overlooked and a swallow that's crazy. Just <laughs> like, what are you going to do? You ever watch a bird like that? It produces anxiety and you guys watch, right? You're watching, you're like, man, I'm, I'm anxious for you. Can you just calm down a little bit? Can you be like a hummingbird just <laughs> in one place? Those, that's weirdly peaceful. But you see this. <laughs> Isn't life like that? All the anxieties that creep in. We feel like that swallow. We're going everywhere, a mile a minute, and we have no idea what's happening. Feel carried along sometimes over long distances. We're like, what, where, where did we just come from? How did we get here? What is happening? But why is he bringing this up? The restless and frantic life that we have finds a resting place in God's presence. Finds a nest in God's presence. God's presence is such a place of rest and peace that the swallow can leave her children there. That's a place of peace, isn't it? And he says, which I I love this, where she may leave her young at the altars, O Lord of hosts, look, my king and my God. That's huge phrases there. It's amazing that anyone can claim any ownership of their relationship with God. But that's exactly what God lets us do. If you perhaps watched the coronation of King Charles III yesterday, what you did not see was people walking up to him, touching him. It's the opposite, right? The President of the United States walks by, you just can't go out, hey, bud, how's it going? You're not allowed to do that. Safety reasons, all that stuff. Look, God is not that way. Remember when Jesus was on the earth and the children came? His like, bodyguard disciples are like, get the children away. He said, no, 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 no. Let the children come. Let them come to me. So in the inauguration, the coronation of Jesus as king, everybody's around him touching him. He's not aloof. He's not far off. He's not reminding us, I'm king. You're not. You're my subjects. No, it's the opposite. He says, come. Come. Remember the, I remember in the, the woman who presses through the crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' garment, knowing that she'll be healed of her disease. And she was. And Jesus, knowing that power had gone out from her, he says, who touched me? Peter says, everybody touched you, Jesus. We're walking. This, it's is crowded. He said, no, 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 somebody touched me. She outed herself. I did, told the story. What does he say to her? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Wow. Ownership in that connection of that covenant relationship. And he gives us the honor of saying he is my Savior. He is my King. He's my God. So we can feel that personal relationship with him over and over. He makes himself infinitely accessible to his people. That's why we we describe it, our relationship with him, as a personal relationship with God. 
And here is a pronouncement of blessing. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Happy are those who are settled in your house, who don't look for every other aspect of life to provide the the settling and the, the calm from the restlessness. But it's blessed, happy are those who dwell in you and ever singing your praise. See, sparrows and swallows, they're birds, they sing. So just like we're finding that when we get to that place, that restful place, there's also there's a song that comes from us that we, you know is sweeter sometimes than anything you've ever experienced in your life. If you look over to the side, there's that word Selah from verse 4. There's a couple of those references in here. That, that Selah is the mark of a psalmist that just said, I just wrote something really cool and I need to take time to think about it. And he wants everybody else, hey, don't gloss over that too quickly. Let it sink in. Let it, blessed are those who dwell in your house and never sing your praise. Meditate on it. Let it sink in. Verses 5, 6, and 7 show that there's a strengthening experience in God's presence. Blessed are those, happy are those whose strength is in you. Not a strength that's in self, self fortitude, self determination, willpower, trying to just move through. No, this is a strength in God's presence that is, it's a reality for today. The strength we long for will sustain us when life is hard and confusing. That strength that, that, will, that will settle us is not found in us. It's found outside. It's found in God, only in God alone. And again, it's accessed through worship. In in whose heart are the highways to Zion? That's an expression of your heart's filled with songs of praise. Because when we we sing his praise, we are connected. There's an awakening maybe that happens in us that we feel God's presence. And he says this, Kind of weird thing, verse 6, is they go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. Uh, the valley, Baca is the word weeping. So they go through the valley of weeping. There was a balsam tree that was very familiar to everybody uh, in the Middle East. And the balsam tree existed in valleys, but the sap that would come from the balsam tree actually looked like tears coming down. And so he says, whenever you're, you're experiencing a valley and, and tears are the only thing that comes. Oh, don't we feel those times? And that's, those are the times we say, God, where are you? I'm overlooked. I'm insignificant. You're doing something else somewhere else. You don't have time for me. And he says, no, this is what I'm doing. I will make that place, that weeping I'll make it a place of springs. See, what we don't understand a lot of times is the very tears that we are weeping are the very means of God's power to show up in our moments of desperation. See, the the tears that we have become springs because we recognize it's not up to me. God, I I need you. The strength that I'm looking for, it's not in me. God, it's outside of me. It's you. See, that, that all of our weakness that we experience is to be... I was at a couple weeks ago in Orlando, uh, some meetings for our, our regional 
uh, district for Sovereign Grace Churches, meeting with other pastors. And there's a pastor, Joel Bain, from Jamaica. So he had an awesome Jamaican accent when he's praying this over somebody. And I wrote it down. He said, Lord, may this weakness be the theater of your power, the theater that your power shows up in. Like, oh. Can we think of God? Can we think of weakness? Can we think of situations, valleys? Redefine them? No, this is not, this is not something that is to convince me that God's nowhere around. No, this is a, a situation where God's going to show up in power. He's going to show up in ways, maybe uh, I'd appreciate the song you've already won. Oh, it sets up this psalm so well. Because our, uh, what, looks, what looks bleak, And what looks hopeless becomes the theater of God's power. And that's what we want. That's what we're asking for. And and the rains that come. You know, there's something about rain is that we can never bring it about. No war chant, no little dance that we do ever brings rain. No sacrifice that we make. God simply sends the rain. God sometimes doesn't send the rain when we want it. Early. (laughs) But God's never late with his rains. He will send his rains and they become a pool. So there's strength for today in that valley where God redefines what's going on. And we see his perspective on how he will bring it about even though we're confused. We don't know what he's doing. We trust that he's doing it. And he will bring his glory about. Strength for today and then strength for tomorrow. Verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So the the weakness, the hopelessness, the bleakness that we experience is the means that God will show up in his power. And when he does, he sees us. And he says, I see you and you're mine. And we go, whoa, you're mine. My God and my king. And he says, you are my son. You are my daughter. God will continue to provide his powerful presence in life's darkest moments. And we will continue to see his power. We will grow from strength to strength. And this is how glory grows in us as well. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, same exact connection. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Remember when Jesus described the Spirit to Nicodemus in John 4, he said this, the wind goes as it wishes. You don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. So it is with the Spirit of God. The Spirit is moving us from strength to strength, glory to glory, faith to faith. We a lot of times don't discern exactly how it's doing it. We just know it's happening. And we see its effect. And so we grow and we see the effect. Uh, uh, the tis so sweet, just trust in Jesus. We prove him or and or, over and over. We prove him. Why? Because we're his children. He's working Jesus in us. And so we are proving the proving ground of his grace and his love and his faithfulness and his steadfastness because we see Jesus. Because he sees us first. And God's hold never, ever slips as we go from strength to strength. 
his hold. Ours, we're like, might be fighting it. Get off of me, God. He's like, nope, I got you. We have that promise in Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you, keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. See, the New Testament writers knew the Old Testament. That's why it's so beautifully connected. Because why? He will be our, look at verse 11. He'll be a shield and a sun. Oh, I jumped ahead, I'm sorry. That was supposed to be verse 9. <laughs> Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Oh, here is God strengthening us. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, not in us. You redefine our situations and experiences. God, you hear our prayers because we are your anointed. You see us. You see us. You look on us. You look on our face. And then verses 10 through 12 show us there's a superior experience. Here another, uh, this is, I love this verse. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Have you tasted of God's presence that richly, that wonderfully, that you don't need anything else? That's what he wants for us because he has what? At his right hand are pleasures. Psalm 16, 11. His right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's an infinite experience. It is God giving himself infinitely to us. There is no comparison to experiencing God. And then how do we experience him? In verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. A sun that we feel the warmth of. A, a shield that protects us from the enemy's desire to physically harm, spiritually harm, emotionally harm. But what's God's response? With the sun and the shield, he bestows favor and honor. And he doesn't withhold any good thing. So those are the moments when we trust those details, that he's not withholding any good thing. We trust those details, we find ourselves strengthened. Strengthening to walk in his glory with strength for today, strength, bright hope for tomorrow, as, as great as thy faithfulness hymn says, but strength for today, strength for tomorrow, and it's a great superior strength. And again, it's blessed. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Happy is the one who trusts in you. And God is bringing us more and more in our journey with him. He, he is strengthening us to learn to trust him more. And more. And more. And more. We think, is it, have I learned the lesson yet? God says, you're doing well. Just learn to trust me more. Learn to trust me more until we are with him in glory. But lastly, there, in four times, there's a, a title for the Lord that the sons of Korah address God as. It's the Lord of hosts. You know, this is the military title for God. Hosts is armies. He is the God of all the armies. And he's got a bunch of armies, and he is God of those too. See, these armies work his good pleasure in the lives of his beloved. These armies don't withhold any good thing. They, they, send, they are sent by him to accomplish his work. And remember, these armies have a commander. 
And that's Jesus himself who appeared to Joshua. Joshua said, "Uh, whose side are you on? Mine or theirs? He said, I'm the commander. Everybody obeys me. Remember, he tells Joshua, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Same experience Moses had with the burning bush. Jesus is the commander of these armies. So what is he doing? He has vanquished the enemy through the cross, so we have this blessing and this hopefulness and this blessed uh, presence of God that strengthens us. So God of the armies is working his good in us, and Jesus vanquishing our enemy and now praying that that takes place in us. We have the presence of God not just around us, but inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit that is made to dwell inside of us. This is the Lord of hosts. This is a sovereign experience. He is in control. Jesus has dealt the final blow to Satan, so no matter what, what, what he comes with attacking us will never last. It might feel like it's big and huge in a moment, where that's physical suffering or emotional distress or relational breakdown and turmoil, no matter what it is. He is working his plan that Jesus purchased and the Holy Spirit executes. That's our God. That's the presence that we enjoy when we are with him. So we have nothing to fear. We really have nothing to fear. So what do you fear today? What is it that we're fearing? What do we have to do? We have to see Jesus. Because look, we have, we, we're in a, a battle that he's already won. As we sang earlier, we're in a battle that he's already won. So we have nothing to fear. Our greatest need right now is to see Jesus as the commander of the Lord's army. To see him highly exalted above all things. And what's our response? To sing his praise. Now, sing his praise can be melodic in a song. Sing his praise can also be, God, you're great. You're wonderful. When we just pronounce his glory to him when we're just driving along and we recognize, God, you're just, your love is awesome. Your faithfulness is real. God, you're great. Let's praise. And something happens in our hearts. There's a transformation that happens that we, we loose ourselves off of what we think is going to settle us and we get settled on God himself by the power of the Spirit. Lord, Oh, we don't have the words to express how great you are. But Lord, you, you're the one we want to be with at all times. Because a day in your courts, a day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. You're just better. So Lord, I ask that you would cause us to uh, as, as the sparrows and the swallows, we are the, we are the sparrows, we are the swallows. I pray that we would find a home and a nest in your presence and abide in you. And our abiding in you would, would have a transforming effect in us that maybe it's not visible by us personally, but, but Lord, bring somebody else recognizing how. Oh, God's doing something in you. May we have that that encouragement that you're doing something and it's being affirmed by your people around us.
God, we, we want to love you. We want to know you. We want to trust you with all that we are. Thank you for your grip on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's be reminded of our commission, church, as we receive the word, we go and we obey. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. See you this evening.